Hey, 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 good morning. It's January 15th, 2020. This is Buddy's owner, Arizona Schnoodle Walks. We're at the gate. We're about to head out. It's 828 in the morning. The sun is up and shining. It's 46 degrees Fahrenheit in Phoenix, Arizona. Probably going up into the 60s. And today's podcast is Sandler Sales Training. Yeah. Let's talk about Sandler's sales training. So the program has been around, I don't know, 30 years or so. It's a process. Sales is a process. And as they say, uh, these things, a lot of frameworks overlap. So setting goals, like to say, hey, our goal is to sell this much. Our goal is to lose 20 pounds. Our goal is this, this, and this. So goals set us up a little bit for failure in a way. And that you're always failing until you get to the goal, right? So like if you want to lose 20 pounds or sell $30 million sales quota, you're always failing until you get there. Or, you know, you might want to try to build in some first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, and then management complains because, oh man, how come the sales, you know, you guys never hit your 30 million until the fourth quarter. Oh, you know, and you're not, it's not linear, man. It's not linear. And, uh, Oh, you know, you're six months in and you're only at five million. You got to get 20, 25 more million the second half of the year. You suck. <laughs> so easy to criticize, isn't it? Look at me. You're talking to Mr. Critic here. Frickin' A, can I criticize? Criticize, but it's all meant well. It's all in good, uh, good taste. So Sandler sales training. So, um, it's part of the marketing funnel. So some of you guys do market online marketing. So my event yesterday occurred purely because I wanted some freebies. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm, you know, I'm also, I'm kind of hyper responsive to stuff. And also I'm getting used to like giving away my email address, knowing that I'll probably start getting inundated with emails. Uh, because I expressed interest in selling, right? So now they're going to bombard me with stuff, which is fine. But there was an aha moment. We got, you know, you're going to probably have, maybe see if you have some aha moments today. I hope so. Aha moments, those things that we probably think that we've held on to for a long time. Then we realize, hey, that's stupid. Oh, is that, you know, somebody gives you some more information. So then you're like, oh, oh, okay. So a lot of, if you've had any sales training uh, or even marketing handoff, like marketing a lot of times generates leads. Lead generation, lead, lead generation. Yay, leads. Build your email list. Yay. Right? They're like, okay, well, marketing did their job. They got a funnel filled up. Now it's the sales guy's job, you know. You sneaky sales guys, go close the deal, man. Close it. (laughs) And I've kind of always known I wanted to be in sales, but I also knew that I didn't want to be like a sleazy car salesman. Sales deal, right? So unfortunately, like a lot of the sales are 
people, you know, people just hire me like, ah, throw them in their sales. Yeah, see what they do, see if they make it or not. We don't really know how to hire people and figure out if they're good at sales. So it's a low risk sale. We'll just give them a low base pay and then they get paid commission. So they're either going to figure it out or they're going to walk, you know, it's, that's, uh, that's kind of the way it is. So there's some really weird thing in the horizon I'm looking at. And it's a blimp. So we got a little blimper coming in. I don't know why. But a big airship. You know? And Arizona is really good for that. I was thinking about that yesterday. I was over by um, Boeing in the Apache helicopter plant, which is next to the whack job MD helicopters, commercial helicopter world. And uh, wow, a blimp is it? It's on this side, and that's interesting. You can't see it, but I'm fascinated by this blimp, obviously. And uh, I don't know, that must be about whew, is it eight miles away, and it's just floating there, heading east, and the sun is shining on it. And uh, yeah, yeah, so. That does not happen very often out here. You see a blimper. And um, yes, yeah, so we have helicopters out here. Arizona's good for aviation. Some cool stuff. Jets once in a while. And you may have that near you too. And uh, you know, you probably have some interesting things. It's just I'm giving you the Arizona vibe. I mean, we're sunny. There's clouds in the sky today, but you know, there's a lot of aviation. It's good flying weather. There's a Lufthansa pilot school that I've always tried to like see what I could do. I should probably drive over there today and say hi. I know the CEO, but he doesn't return my calls, so maybe I won't drop in on him. I don't know, but you know me. I'm bold, man. Tom, hey, Tom, what's going on? How's your German, man? How's your German? <laughs> he, he, probably, he probably doesn't. I don't know. Who knows? I'll just go with it. Some people don't like it if you... Whatever. We're all insecure, right? Everybody's insecure. Me, I'm insecure. But sometimes I just don't give a shit and just blurt it out. But Lufthansa training school is kind of cool because like the Lufthansa uh, pilots for years and years, they come out to Arizona because they're like, hey, uh, we uh, need to train and why not? So somehow they got a school set up out here probably 30 or 40, 50 years ago, who knows? And they they really, and this is like a lot of businesses, you get started and you're doing your thing and then you're kind of stuck in that mindset of how you started and people don't like change, so they kind of modify their businesses they go. So I, I will get back to the sales training process, which is actually... I can explain it in like 45 seconds, but I need to set it up a little bit. So don't worry. So hang in there. I will get to Sandler sales training. And there's probably a lot of different sales trainings. And so I hesitate to like say, this is like Nirvana. This is like the ultimate sales training. You know, there's all these other processes too. But I kind of like this one. It's pretty straightforward. I relate to it. And I'll tell you why I relate to it in a moment. But yeah, so that's the that's the scene. I set the scene for you, walking bud. And uh, 
Yeah, I'm getting used to like taking pictures of whiteboards. So I went to a presentation yesterday, set the scene, set the scene. And the guy, so I, cause I answered the email, got my freebies, somewhat worthwhile, right? The freebies, you know, something like, like how to write emails that get responses type of thing. Or, you know, I'm just curious, learning, pick up. I'm picking up free stuff. I'm stealing information, as they say. I've learned that later. I'm just getting information from experts for low cost. But the cost was I gave him my phone number. He calls me up and somewhat convinces me to come in for a session yesterday. So I did. I'm like, okay, I'm available. I'll do it. So I go in and not sure what the audience is like, right? So it turns out a lot of real estate investors, a lot of people flipping homes, a lot of people, uh, which is kind of unusual because the two people I met, they're like, well, we buy homes. I'm like, well, isn't this sales? Isn't this sales training, right? You know? And it's like, well, they buy homes because they have the intent of flipping them or investing in them or renting them out, right? So before they they need houses, real estate in their portfolio to sell it, right? So if you're gonna sell something, you gotta you gotta have something to sell, right? But that's how they describe themselves was oh yeah, I buy we buy ugly homes. You know, there's a there's a big sign, there's a franchise, I guess, of we buy ugly homes. And it's not, it wouldn't be my favorite business because uh, it kind of hurts my soul because people will buy a house with all, you know, it's exciting to buy a house. It's exciting to move into a neighborhood. It's exciting. Maybe you're starting a family. Maybe you got some kids and the bankers will loan you money and you, you know, Everybody tells you you can do it. Oh, yeah, you got your income's fine. You got, you know, oh, both you and your wife work. Okay. Oh, you're working there? Oh, great. And so people think like, oh, this is it. Home ownership is the American dream, man, which is great. I, you know, when it works out, great. But unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't work out. And somebody gets married. They have a couple kids. They have bad experience at work and their company shuts down. And then they're out of a job and then they can't make the mortgage. And then they're like, oh, crap, what do I do? The housing market turns down. They can't sell the house. So we buy ugly homes comes in and like, okay, dude, well, you want to sell this thing? You know, and it's not like they have like huge compassion for the people, right? So I guess you'd call this transactional selling. Versus, I guess, there's going to be enterprise selling, right? So transactional selling is not something I've been involved in, right? But probably maybe everybody except for one or two. So like maybe three or four people out of 30 were in transactional selling. And I suppose we would define that as one-off, no relationship with the the buyer, really. I mean, you're basically, if you're going to buy their home in a weird way, it's a selling process too, in a way, but you're, you're buying with the intent to sell. So you're, I, I, it's a little bit uncomfortable for me, right? <laughs> and some people can do it.
but it's not my thing, right? Because you're, I have, uh, I like have empathy. And it's not that they don't have empathy, but they're just kind of like, you can do it. You can do a funnel on it too. It's like, well, they're, you know, I can't change the world and people are going to have job losses and financial problems and they're going to have to sell their homes in a distressed situation. So we'll buy it on 70 cents to the dollar and then sell it on 90 cents to the dollar and we make our margin, you know, even the word margin came out of the conversation, right? So, and that's what a lot of life is, is the financial gain. And this one woman's pretty interesting, but like, you know, wearing the baseball cap kind of probably not wanting to share as much of what she does. Cause I imagine it's ugly. I mean, I'm just, I have an imagination. Right? So I'm like, you, you go meet somebody and you're like, they just want to get out of their house. So it's like the more emotion they give you about how badly they want to get out of the house lower your prices like you you might you might go like well i would pay a hundred hundred and fifty thousand dollars for this house but after meeting the people and they're like so distraught in such a bad shape uh i could probably get it for 130 you know so now you just took 20 grand out of their pocket right and that 20 grand goes in your pocket you know and so it's a little bit of a fixed mindset it's like it's like either either you get the twenty grand or they get the twenty grand, and rarely would probably someone go like, okay, well let's just split the ten grand each. You get ten more grand and I get ten less grand, but we're all making money here. It's all good, win-win. But the the the, the sellers aren't as sophisticated and they're usually emotional and you, I don't know. I just don't like it because you're taking advantage of it. And I, and I that was all in my head. It's not, I'm not, I don't express it. I'm just thinking, I'm learning. Just don't talk about it. And, uh, but that's like a little bit of compassion on my part. I have, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's, I'm still learning, right? Still learning. And the, the word contentment came out and she was like, you know, and the, and there's the other guy next to me was also doing the same thing, uh, buying houses. <laughs> So I learned a bit there. And and uh, the word contentment came up. And she's like, I'm just not content. I'm not content. And I said, well, you got to be content right now. Like, you be content in this moment, you know? You know, but that drive, you got to have more drive, you know? And then you get it. It's reinforced because, like, last month, oh, last month, I, I made 30 grand flipping this house. And that uh, endorphins and that adrenaline rush comes in. And your brain forgets about the conversation of, of why you made 30 grand last month because you you bought a house for 130 and sold it for 180 and you had to pay off your hard money loans. Don't you love that? The hard money loans, man. So then you got a whole nother society, a whole nother group of people with hard money, man, hard money. And hard money is money that's usually like a, eight, nine, 10% interest, maybe 15, 15% interest. Some guy will say, well, I'll loan you 130 grand at 15% interest, which sounds terrible, right? But your whole plan is to flip the house in three months. So really you're gonna, you're not paying 15%. 
on the whole year. It's only three months, right? So you pay a quarter of that. So you're basically paying 4% interest. So you got to pay the guy. The guy's willing to take 4% of your 130, which is like five or six grand in three months or whatever the number is, right? So it's if you are buying a house and you're going to get a 15, 30-year mortgage, you would get like a 4% interest rate. But that takes a lot of paperwork. It takes time. And you got to move fast in the house flipping world. So either you got to have a big bundle of stacks of money that you can invest quickly or you got to go hard money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All that from Sand the Training. So I'm observing, right? Who's getting the training? Who go to the training? Who's getting the training, right? Who's being trained, right? So there's a guy doing windows. He does. He goes to a house and talks to somebody about putting in new windows. So again, transactional. It's like you're going to do that. Somebody's interested in buying windows. They probably look for about a month. Get some different quotes, talk to different people, and then they make a decision, and they get the windows put in. They might live there three years. They'll probably sell the house, and they'll forget all about the salesman and the company that put in the windows because they just aren't going to do it. It's not a repeat thing. Now, the window dude would love to know the house flippers. Because now you're talking repeat business, right? Because if a guy is buying houses, so they probably like to go to the sales training to network, to meet the house flippers so that when a house flipper, if they are buying 10 houses, maybe two of them need new windows. Okay. So they're boom, they got two sales just because they networked with somebody. And I think there's this thing called, what was it? B&I, Business Network International Clubs different services. So I'm not telling you anything that's not new. It's new to me because I'm a corporate weenie. I'm a corporate America, corporate global dude, right? So corporate stuff's different because it's, it's repeat long-term manufacturing production. And especially in aerospace, the stuff goes on for 30 years. You buy that company, that relationship is important because it's going to go on for a while and the trick as for me has been is i've sucked at inserting myself into a good role right like the key like like let's say i was 40 years old and i had a relationship with you know i developed a relationship over 10 years and i moved into another guy that retired his job now i'm 40 well I'm, i'm planning on camping out in that position for the next 15, 20 years and make a living off of that spot. So they're not going to help anybody else take their job away from them, right? So that's kind of like the dilemma. And that's where entrepreneurialism is just like, you know what? I'm not going to play that game, that corporate game. I'm just going to, there's plenty of business doing transactional type, transactional type business. And yeah, it's nice to have a relationship with your customers and build a relationship and things like that. But, you know, unless you have a product or service that's repeat, it gets tricky. Like even headhunters, like recruiters. So there's guys looking to try to find a job for me, for example, right? Well, I mean, the, the relationship is 
the important relationship is not the relationship the recruiter has with me, unfortunately, as, as wonderful and magnanimous as I think I am. I'm just not as, as good as I think I am, right? <laughs> or I'm not making enough phone calls. Yeah, yeah. So um, the recruiter wants to have a relationship with the company that uh, hires me. And for example, this motor company down the street here needs to hire a thousand people. And I'm sure there's something I could do there. You know? And I kind of like the this uh, woman I met last week um, about strength finders, my strengths. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm strong and includer, including people, but I'm like, what, what good is that? And she had the experience insight is like, wow, well, a lot of companies that would fit with like diversity vice president or, you know, diversity and inclusion vice president. So some companies are trying to figure out how to include their workforce into things. And I have some ideas on that. That's kind of my Gaussian distribution curve, which is you, every human has outlier gifts and outlier weaknesses. My outlier weaknesses is harmony. I'm not a harmonious person, dudes. Um, <laughs> I, and, and yet I feel I emotional pull to be harmonious, right? I mean, being harmonious, isn't that a, seems like that's a good thing. Like if we're all going to work together, we should all be in harmony, right? And you, and uh, like I said, I'm, that's my biggest weakness. So you have, uh, by definition, a lot more harmony than I do. You know, even if it's your like 16th strength in the middle, there's 34. So I guess 17 would be the middle. But you could be top half harmony. And you'd be like really disappointed with me because I'm like zero interest in that. I like appreciate it. But I'm not I'm not going to create harmony. Right. So, like I said, the sales process, we're about halfway through the podcast here. So let me get back to that. Now, um, they, the Sandler, uh, I've been aware of them for about two years now. And some of it was I was starting to get involved in franchises, which I didn't know much about. But there's like franchise coaches, they call them. So I met a guy. He's a good dude. Still talk to him. He got out of the business because... He found something better than selling franchises because, again, that's not a relationship building business because you're basically talking to individuals. It's a lot of work. And let's say I, let's say I bought a franchise and he made 50 grand or something or 40 grand. That's a good payout. But the sales cycle on that is like six months to a year, right? So you got to have a pipeline of contacts. And he worked at it and he did pretty good at it. But it's like, well, let's say I bought one. Like, you know, all I could do is be a reference for him and say how great a job he did, right? But there's really no repeat business between him and I. And in this case, there's a thousand franchises out there. So he might 
have a relationship with a franchisor and go, wow, you really do a good job of selling this franchise, you know, to people. But it's more geographic oriented. So he's living his life. He's doing his thing. So, but, you know, during that process, I became a Sandler as a franchise. So I'm like, okay, so some guy is interested in selling process sales. So I met a guy. And (laughs) sneeze in there, unedited and uncut, walking the dog podcast here. So, um, the, uh, I met a franchise owner and, you know, we're all, we all think a lot of ourselves, right? Me included. <laughs> you know what? Maybe you think less of yourself and, and, and then I do, but I, I'm like, uh, I swing. I'm a, I'm a swinger. I go like, I think, you know, at times when I probably shouldn't think of that much of myself and I should be humble. Maybe I'm a little bit more overconfident, right? And sometimes I'm like really, I should be confident, like in a job interview or something, and then I go the other way, right? So it's controlling. I have a, I struggle with controlling my, what position I should take. And I probably self-sabotage by being overconfident in situations where I should just shut up and be humble and um, I should be not be humble and aw shucks when I should be confident. So that's something I am challenged to grow in. So that was a bit of a diversion. So where am I going? So, so anyways, I talked to the guy a few times and basically he's going to be the guy providing the training but my reaction was kind of like, well, personality-wise, I didn't really, like, hit it off with the guy, you know? He's just a different kind of guy. I mean, I get the process, and I'm like, well, I can learn the process from the guy, even though I'm not enthusiastic about the guy's own excitement. So it's almost like, and I, I'll probably have the same problem, too. I mean, we were... Am I smoking what I'm selling again, right? So I kind of felt like, well, this guy is sales, and we all probably incorrectly <clears throat> in sales, we think of like salespeople as being like, well, they got to be Mr. Dynamic, Mr. Enthusiastic, Mr. Optimistic. Fortunately, positive is a good thing, right? So I got some of that. Woo, winning others over, that's that's got to be good for selling. And communication yeah that's all good those are my strengths so i i interacted with the gentleman and i was kind of like well i don't know are you smoking what you're selling i mean he's got to sell his training right so you'd think he would you know be all up on his selling and I'm sure he studies it and he knows it. He knows the sales process or sales technique. But the very first step in the process is bonding and rapport building. So that's the first step in the sales process. And I'm kind of like, 
dang, I, I can do that. I can bond. I bond. I can rapport. I build rapport. I ask you questions. I'm asking people questions. It's not all about me, right? It's not all about me, right? What do you got going on? What's your What's your hero journey, right? I'm building rapport. I build rapport. I bond. I bond. <laughs> I bond with people. Bond, right? So my and but this is this is the crux of my aha moment too. So the first step is bonding and rapport building. And if you're, you know, hiring salespeople and you don't really know the full process, you're kind of like, oh, shit, this guy can bond. I mean, I'm interviewing this guy. Damn, he can bond really well, man. He builds rapport. So I'm like, I'm fully qualified to bond and build rapport. Not a problem. The next step in the process, though, is now it gets into the sales process, and this is where I haven't been doing well, right? So, and I've never had any training to either, right? So, I mean, part of it is I got myself involved in these big corporations, and they don't really, don't really sell the same way, right? I mean, they don't sell um, transactionally that much, a little bit, and. Uh, it's more, I guess they call it enterprise selling, which there's going to be a little deal on that. So I'll just read through the submarine because it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven steps. So bonding and rapport. The next thing is upfront contracts, which sounds interesting. Then it's pain, budget, decision. And now you've closed the deal. Then it's fulfillment and post-sell process. And we didn't really talk much about yesterday about the last two stages. But it was a really good overview of the whole process yesterday. And the traditional sales thing we do is marketing turns over some leads. Salespeople, the marketing people say, okay, here's some leads. Go qualify the leads. And the management's like, go qualify the leads and go make a presentation and then close the deal, damn it. You know, so that's the traditional, like the ABCs of closing, right? Always be closing the Glen Gary, Glen Ross uh, process. A little bit, not quite, but this is qualified. Like in the Glen Gary, Glen Ross, they did no qualifying. They just were hounding the people. Call them, get a meeting with them, do a presentation, and then close them, you know? So... <laughs> That's the movie, which is a bad sales process. You kind of walk away from the movie recognizing like, well, that doesn't look like a very good sales process. And then you've got the, uh, so that's the traditional qualify lead, find out information, how they qualify. How do you qualify a lead, right? So you're like, okay, this guy expressed interest. He asked for my freebie. I sent him a freebie. I start sending him an emails. There's some, they come to my website, they go to the website, they buy something for 10 bucks, you know. Who are they? Are they hyper-responsive or not? What bucket do they fit in? You know, uh, are they, what, you know, start sending them messages related to their bucket. You know, it's all good stuff, right? But you got to close, eventually you got to qualify the lead. Like, do they have money? Well, if they pay you 10 bucks for a book and they, or they pay you $100 for a training course, they got some money, they put a credit card in there, but... You know, it's just building a relationship at that point, right? That's the long-term relationship with a customer. 
that's that's in a different business. That's like a, a relationship business, which is always wonderful, right? Much better to me. That's much more enjoyable than a transactional. And I have to admit, like I'm not a transactional guy. Otherwise, I'd be working somewhere else, probably like doing car sales transactions, right? And that's why my career advice from people that don't, from family, are like, well, just go get a job, do this and that. And I'm like, well, I'm trying to find a fit. What fits? What, what do I want to really sell at, right? So, so if a salesman comes out to a prospect with a approach like, well, I got to qualify this lead. And probably the best example of this would be like going to a car lot. You know, you're looking at a car and the salesman wants to qualify you. Like, where are you at? Are you ready to buy a car this week, next month? What? And the prospects are like, they want to control. This is where it gets into controlling the relationship. So a buyer doesn't want to give up control. So the buyer is going to be lying to you. <laughs> so they... So like if you go, imagine walking to a car lot, you're looking at a Ford or something. And it's, uh, you know, the sticker price is $30,000 or something. And you talk to the salesman comes up to you and starts asking you questions. Well, they're trying to qualify you to see where you're at. Do you need to buy the car? Are you just screwing around? What kind of, who are you? What bucket are you in? Are you a frequent car buyer that like just always is kicking tires, going around, looking at stuff? Or are you like, Hey man, I don't like buying a car. I'm here because I need to buy a car. I don't want to be here, but I got to need to, I need to buy a car, right? And it may not be like you got to buy one this week, but you probably got to buy one soon, you know? So you qualify the buyer and now that's their pain, right? So now you're qualifying them and you're also going to the, you're getting close to pain, but before you do that, the upfront contract, upfront contract. So the way that was explained to me was the, the worst thing a salesman, let's say you have a conversation for 15 minutes, half hour. And after you make a little pitch, you tell them about how great you are in the company and the product and the service, which turns out really the company that remember it's story brand, they're the hero, not the company's not the hero. The, the company solves a problem. Right. So the you know you know the traditional thing is qualifies like and and if you're a salesman on a car lot you're like well shit there people are here they're qualified I mean my job is to sell cars I wanna I wanna get a quota right I wanna get a quota so guess what I'm talking to this guy and if he walks off the lot then I gotta wait for somebody else to come on the lot or make calls or get somebody to come in here or to do something right. Got to close sales, man. I got to sell 20 cars this month or something, right? So we're all selfish. We all have our thing. So the good salesman, he did talk about this too, which is some, it's a little bit of a struggle for me uh, too, which is you got to have your financial house in order. Really, he gave four points. I'll have to review those again. Maybe I'll review it on another podcast or so on build it into my own head but behaviors there was two things behaviors and then the one that i was probably not really as true is the financial house in order 
if I had like plenty of money, like if I just had like a stack load of money in the bank, I would, I could go sell Mercedes Benz and just love it because I'm not pressured to sell a Mercedes Benz. You know, I love the Mercedes Benz and I kind of get, get people that have money and I probably could do the job. I mean, I probably would probably love selling Mercedes Benz. But if I needed to like sell a car to make my mortgage payment, well, that changes the equation, right? It changes, it's like, it's like now all of a sudden I need to sell this guy a car because I need to make my mortgage payment. So blocking out, and that, that decreases my effectiveness as a salesperson, right? So buyers probably can sense that, like, oh man, the salesman, he really needs me to buy this car. <laughs> and nobody likes that situation, right? That's why prospects lie. They don't want to be qualified. And they also want to steal. This is a classic. Buy, steal. Yeah, I was just interrupted by a phone call. For a car extended warranty. Marketing me, man. Marketing me. But anyways, I hung that up. And here we are. We're back. So a buyer will sense that. And the... Uh, uh, Let's see, somebody, somebody going to call me in a moment? I got to check. I just got a text too. Magic. Let's see. I'll try to ring you tonight. Okay. So, all right. Okay. All right. We won't be in. I don't think we'll be interrupted again. So, the buyers will um, lie to us and then steal from you. So, you've done this. You go to the car lot. You're looking at a Ford. Talk to the salesman. You try to try not to tell them what you're doing because you don't want to be qualified and sold and go through that thing so you just see what see what the salesman tells you and an untrained salesman which most of us are will say oh this is a great ford thirty thousand bucks i can probably get it to you for twenty five thousand and then you're like oh really twenty five thousand oh great and he's like well maybe twenty four five oh really okay let me go talk to my manager and you're just like taking in the information for free right because the list price is always like higher, right? This is the American way. And so they go and it's the game starts, the game of price game. And, and you're lying to the guy because really you have no intention of buying that day or even that week. You're just getting information for free, which to the buyer is like, well, if you want to give me the information for free, great. And then you, you may be uh, at a dealership that's like 30 miles from your house and you're just checking it out because you're talking to a salesman like three miles from your house. Right? So as buyers, we don't care about the sellers, right? We just care about ourselves. Right? So they'll mislead. This is the, the prospects thing, mislead. And they may even, the guy 30 miles away, may say, hey, I, you know, I think the manager's 24-5. We could do the deal, man. You know what? And then you're like, well, I want to think about it. And then the salesman's like, oh, okay. Then he gets out a bottle of hopium, they call it. Hope. Hopium. And he waits. And you, you're the buyer. And you leave. And the failure is that there was no upfront contract. That's what it means by upfront contract. So before you even give a price, you should be saying... 
Hey, man. Um, I sell cars for a living. This is my livelihood. And I, I like to dedicate, you know, 30 to 45 minutes to a customer, maybe an hour, talking about cars and what, what they're looking at. But at the end of our 45 minutes to an hour, um, are you going to be in a position to say, no, not interested, or yes, let's go forward and buy a car? And you tell them up front, like, you don't want to hear, like, I want to think about it. Because if that's your position now, that you're just thinking about it, um, why don't you just go walk through the lot, think about it some more, and then when you're ready to talk about a yes or no decision, then uh, come find me. Here's my card. Then you then it took you five minutes, and you had an upfront contract. And most buyers will probably be confused by that, but that's like a professionally trained salesperson will do that. And it's we're not used to it. I'm not used to that. I'm not I'm not used to doing it, and I'm also not used to receiving it, which tells me that not many people are trained in a process like this. Somebody else might call it something else. They just happen to call it upfront contract, right? And the person might go, oh, no, oh, actually, you know, now, that, see, like, otherwise they're going to dance around all kinds of bonding and rapport, which is my aha moment. It's like, shit, I'm great at bonding and rapport, but I got to go to the next step. I got to get people to the upfront contract and move this thing forward. I have to take control of the sales process. I'm letting the prospects do all the controlling of the sales process. And it's not to be like dominating other people. It's just actually the, the prospect sales process is not a trained one either. They're not trained in misleading, lying, and stealing. That just comes natural. <laughs> so so if the prospect's, prospect's buying uh, process is to lie, steal, and mislead, well, that's just natural. No, they didn't have to be trained in that. You know, that's part of being human, so... That's so being a salesman then has got to take control of the conversation. So if they say, oh, no, yeah, I uh, appreciate you being so direct on that. Um, yeah, I will. I do need to be a buy a car by Saturday because my son's going to college or something. Right. So you're like, OK, now we know like they got to they want They're ready to go. They're actioned. Right. So then you go into the pain. Right. What's the pain level? Right. So are they buying? for their college kid, they're, they're buying it for themselves and then giving the college kid their current car, right? Which is probably likely, right? They're probably not gonna buy their college kid a new car, but they might let the kid take the five-year-old car that you've been driving for five years and it's time for you to upgrade to a nicer car. So you do that and now you're on the track. So your pain is, you now you explore that. It's like, well, I need the car. And I'm not I'm not looking for a used junker to give my son. I'm actually looking for me. And this is my situation. This is what I do with the car. Um, either I'm like all business, just tooling around town, or maybe I want an SUV type. Then I go up in the mountains, go skiing, stuff like that. So then you start getting into the pain. And then you go into the budget, like how much you're ready to spend. And you got to talk money, which buying prospects rarely are wanting to talk about. And then decisions, like, are, am I talking to the decision maker here? Are you making the decision, right? 
So if you get through all that, you're basically qualifying first and then closing the deal. And then you present, you do the fulfillment and what does he call it? Confirmation maybe, but it's post-sale stuff. So if, like once you establish, okay, oh, you're looking for this car. So let's show you during your budget, this car, this car, this car is your budget. And, you know, is that going to work for you? Well, let's go look at something, you know? So now you're, you're already established that they're ready to buy. And you may not fully close the deal, right? You got to go look at cars, but you're in a much better position going forward. Cause now you, you know, the need, you've got the budget, you're looking, you know, got the pain and now you can have a conversation and I'm not the best buyer. I'm more like, I'm the liar. I'm the misleader. I'm the hem and a hon. I don't like to talk about budget. Right. So that's probably, probably more representative of most buyers. Right. So, um, that's the sales process. And you can either let the prospect, here's my aha moment. You can either let the prospect have control by lying, stealing, misleading, or you can take control back and get that upfront contract, go into the pain and do that. And that structure helps the sales process, which is tough for me because I'm all rapport and bonding guy. So it looks like I'd be a great salesman, but I'm not. This is where the humility comes in. I'm like, come on, man. I'm awesome at bonding and rapport. Shit. Dude, this guy can bond and freaking rapport. But what's the upfront contract, right? I don't do any of that. And I just, I just like listen and talk and, you know, make friends with the prospect and, prospects lies to me because I don't know the right questions to ask and I don't dig deeper on the right questions because I have no process right and I may have heard someone talk about that before but I was probably too cocky like when I was probably 25 or 30 who knows just like oh yeah I'm I'm Mr. Bonding and Rapport shit I have so much bonding and rapport well, people are just going to buy from me <laughs> Because I'm, I'm Mr. Bonding and Rapport. But the, the term the guy uses for, he draws like the processes on a whiteboard. So the first is the standard qualify, present, close, which is not the best, but that's the most common. And then the middle is the prospect. That's the red one. That's the lie, steal, mislead, and hide. Hide means like, yeah, I'll think about it. Then you spend the next week calling them on the phone. They don't answer the phone. They ignore your calls, blah, blah, blah. They're hiding. And then the actual sales price that we can control is the blue, the right side. That's the bond and rapport, but move on. Get to the upfront contract. Find out the pain. Find out the budget. Find out who the decision makers are and then move forward and see if you can make, close a deal. Then you present your stuff, right? So that is uh, the deal. 
and uh, the in the middle, like if you're stuck between, for me, this is for me, and maybe for you too, is is that if I'm consistently letting the prospect run the conversation, they're just avoiding, they're misleading, they're stealing information, they're lying to me, right? And if I continue to do that, I'm not going to close any deals. It's just going to go on and on. And then I'm going to get the uh, no closure on it. And uh, so that is called wimp junction, right? Wimp junction, meaning that's probably much where I've been most of my life. And maybe, maybe other people have too, if you haven't had any training. And again, it's just a framework, right? So the guy names it. He names it Wimp Junction. Okay. That's the name for it. And, you know, so at the end of the class, he's like, so what did you learn? I'm like, well, I've been, I've been living in Wimp Junction, living there because we, and that makes sense in Arizona because we have a town to the east of Phoenix called Apache Junction, right? Apache Junction. And uh, so I'm living in Wimp Junction because I'm not controlling the sales process, right? And since I'm like bonding and rapporting and I want people to like me, right, blah, blah, blah. I'm not controlling it and I'm letting them control it and then people are lying to me and I'm just eating it up. So, yeah, so that's, that's the essence of Sandler training. You just got that for, for free, like I did. And I'm going to try to improve in my life on that. So, that's the, the podcast for today. So we need some grace, mercy, and peace. Have a great day.